This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. When you rise above the particularities of our doctrine and you start listening to the mystics or the philosophers or the of scientists or, or like Meister Eckhart and Carlo Rovelli and Krishnamurti and Thomas Merton and David Bow, all, all these people, they start sounding like they're talking the same language. And so that for me is a real clue that something really important is going on there. Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. Thank you. Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is David Hayward. He draws and writes as At Naked Pastor which reaches wide audiences with fanciful and hard-hitting cartoons about spiritual abuse, the church's exclusion of LGBTQ plus people, feminism, and faith and doubt. With degrees from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and McGill University in Montreal, Hayward served as a pastor for most of his career, but in 2010 he left the professional paid clergy to pursue his passion for spirituality, community, and art. His cartoons and artwork have found their way all around the world. David Hayward and his wife lived near St. John in New Brunswick, and we're talking today about a recent collection of his cartoons called Flip It Like This. David Hayward, the Naked Pastor, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you, David. Good to be here. Hello, everybody. I have to say, first of all, I have been a longtime fan of your work, and we here at Things Not Seen oftentimes pass around your cartoons. And so I think that maybe for my listeners who have never seen your work or never encountered Naked Pastor before, maybe you could take a moment or two and just describe what they would encounter if they went looking for Naked Pastor on the many social media platforms where it appears. Yeah, well, if you're going to search for Naked Pastor, I do encourage you to search it as one word. That's my brand name. If you search it as two words, you're going to see things that aren't very much related to me. So if you're curious as to what I do, make it past, I do art, paintings, writing, videos. I do a lot of stuff, but I'm mostly known for my cartoons. And basically they are, as you said in the introduction, they're usually one frame, few words as possible, plain black and white, pen drawing, as simple as I can keep it so that the delivery is fast and furious. And they address church issues, abuse, inclusion, theology, of course, spirituality, religion in general. And also I talk about a whole lot of other issues too. And sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're poignant, and sometimes they're angry. So there's quite a spread of emotions and in my cartoons. But And then I also do, you know, images of Christ and other religious graphic art. So it's quite a diverse sample of my work if you're going to look for Naked Pastor. Yeah. Well, and so in the introduction to your book, Flip It Like This, you describe your journey from the pastorate into artistic expression like this. You said, well, I, I just, I had a, fr- a friend who was a cartoonist who said, well, just give it a try. And so I decided to just draw one cartoon a day until my ideas ran out and they haven't run out yet. Now I'm paraphrasing, but is that basically right that you just started on a whim and it's carried you along the way? Yeah. So I grew up and my dad was an artist and I remember from the earliest age drawing and painting and stuff. And when I started blogging back in 2005, when I was still a pastor of a local church 
And I had my blog, Naked Passion, and I would just sort of share my thoughts and maybe once in a while painting. But in 2006, I really love a good cartoon, like The New Yorker or others, Far Side or things like that. And one day I was looking at one cartoonist's work and I thought, you know, I could maybe do that. I should try that and give it a shot. And so I challenged myself. I'm going to draw a cartoon every day and post it until I run out of ideas. And I thought I might last 30 days. <laughs> it's a whole different mindset from doing a painting to doing a cartoon. And, uh, but yeah, that was in 2005 or six. And here I am 17 years later, still doing it. So now you, you mentioned just a moment ago that there's a different mindset to a skill like painting and a skill like cartooning. And I wonder if we can circle back to that for a second and have you say a little bit more about what are the, some of the distinctions that you've discovered in doing both? So brevity for me is really important. So I aspire to use as few lines as possible and few words as possible. And if I can do it without words, even better. So I, my cartoons, I love somebody to be scrolling, say, through Instagram or come across my cartoon and they get it in an instant. That's one of the, that's one of the powers of a cartoon is that it's, it literally manifests the saying, a picture's worth a thousand words. Like I could write a thousand words on a topic or I could do a cartoon and somebody sees it and in one second they get the message and saves me a lot of time, saves them a lot of time. So it's, an, and it's just, I don't know, art has a way of bypassing our defenses and can get straight through to our core, to our heart. It can bypass our prejudices or our defenses or all of our arguments and score a hit right in the center of our heart. And so what I try to do is when I sit down to do a cartoon, very different from doing a painting where I'm just conveying emotion on watercolor paper, let's say, and just trying to convey some beauty there. This I'm trying to distill a very powerful emotion I'm having or a thought into one little picture with as few words as possible. And that's the challenge for me. Let me take a moment and reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're very happy today to be speaking with David Hayward. He's the artist behind At Naked Pastor, and we're talking about a recent book of his collected cartoons called Flip It Like This. A moment ago, you talked about the difference between painting as trying to convey maybe a complexity of emotions, whereas a cartoon is trying to distill a powerful, one powerful emotion down to one image with as few lines and as few words as possible. And so I'm curious about your creative process. When does the idea come to you? Do you keep a notebook or a scrapbook of possible thoughts of what you're going to do? Or is it merely like a lightning flash, the kind of Holy Spirit rolls upon you every day and suddenly you find yourself inspired? What's your process like? Well, I wish it was the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure of that. And I'm sure there's a lot of other people too would question that. But for me, I do, I have an iPad that sometimes I, I do sketches on and so on. I prefer drawing on real paper because I love having an original drawing in my possession. If somebody wants it, it can be theirs too. But, but I do have an iPad and if I do come up with an idea and it's germ, it's it hasn't been hatched yet, embryonic, I'll write something down or something like that. But mostly the best cartoons I've found have just come to me. Like they just show up in my head and I, I sit down and draw as quickly as I can. And so those I find are my best. If I think too hard about it and I'm pushing and pulling and manipulating an idea too much, then it, it's just not as good. And it's, it's a weird thing because the cartoons of mine that have really gone say viral are the most popular are ones that have just popped into my head and I've drawn them and posted them quickly and without a thought really. So that's basically how it happens. It comes to me quickly and I draw it quickly and post it quickly. So I don't have a storage. I don't have any in queue or anything in line waiting to be posted. It's like 
I got to come up with something tomorrow. <laughs> well, and so this is another part of your process that I'm excited to be able to ask you about, because you mentioned that back in 2005, you were blogging. And that's really 2005, 2006 is also when Twitter was really beginning to come online and Facebook had already been was getting established and was getting spread out from the universities to the masses. And so blogging was really a place for self-expression at that time. I'm assuming that the first place that you posted your cartoons was on your blog and then you moved to social media, but perhaps I'm wrong about that. What was it like in terms of the places where these cartoons first appeared? Yeah, so I, I started blogging just on a basic WordPress platform, and uh, that was back in 2005. And I chose the name Naked Pastor to convey that I was a pastor and I wanted to be open and honest and real and vulnerable, no adornments. There were a lot of pastor bloggers out there, but I wanted to be unique in that I was going to show people everything, like what went on behind the curtain and not just the great sermons and all the conversions and all the baptisms and the great potlucks and the wonderful coffee and donuts that we serve and the wonderful building and worship music and all this stuff. I wanted them to see the conflict, my struggles with doubt, let's say how we wrestled with the LGBTQIA reality or women in leadership or all those things. So that's why I called myself the naked pastor. And then I just kept posting to my blog and I noticed people were starting to share them here and there on their blogs. And then social media kicked in. And now I still keep a blog though. I still post my new work to my blog because I don't like depending on the social media platforms for holding my work. So I, I make sure that all my cartoons and anything that I'm writing Anything that's new that is is on my blog at nakedpastor.com. And so I'm still doing that. But I'm not, you and I both know blogging isn't what it used to be. And I'll admit, I don't know how many people see my blog, but everybody sees, not everybody, but a lot of people see my Instagram account or my Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or Pinterest or wherever, TikTok now too. <laughs> but yeah, it's just social media has helped me, but I don't, I'm a little nervous about what direction they're going to go in. I never know. So that's so why I keep blogging as well. Well, thank you for saying a little bit about that and the multi-platformic nature. I don't even know the right term here, but you have a kind of home for your work and then you allow your work to flourish in multiple shareable platforms. And as we're moving towards our first break, I wonder, so you have perhaps more contact with a breadth of social media than maybe somebody like me. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I still don't quite understand Instagram. I don't know what LinkedIn in is for. I don't do Pinterest or, or those sorts of things. So, so as you've been looking at this wider vista of social media, do you find that you're drawn more to one over the other, or do you just think of them all as kind of equal tools for sharing your work? Yeah, they're not equal tools. And that's something that everybody who's sharing their work on social media needs to understand is that each platform needs to be treated with respect as to what it is. And I, I'm with you. I'm still learning like how to use Twitter properly. Like it's very tempting to write a little post and have a little link and then share my cartoon and then just copy paste it to all the platforms. But that's not very respectful towards each platform. That might work on Facebook, but I have to treat Twitter very differently and Instagram very differently. And then TikTok, they're all very different. So it makes for more work for sure. But if you show each platform the respect that they request, then you're just going to do better. Now, my favorite platform right now is Instagram. Just my work took off there. I have 107,000 followers there. I work very hard at moderating the community there and make sure that there's no bullying going on or anything like that. And it's quite a wonderful, it feels like quite a wonderful community there. So, and that's showing respect to Instagram as it has that community feel. And so I do my best to keep it that way, but that's probably my most popular platform right now. 
We're going to take a quick break. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with David Hayward, who draws and writes as At Naked Pastor, which reaches wide audiences with fanciful and hard-hitting cartoons about spiritual abuse, the church's exclusion of LGBTQ plus people, feminism, and faith and doubt. He has a new book of these cartoons collected called Flip It Like This. We will be back in just one moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of interviews and conversations, all available for free for your listening pleasure. We're delighted today to welcome David Hayward, who draws and writes as At Naked Pastor, and his cartoons reach wide audiences with fanciful and hard-hitting thoughts about spiritual abuse, the church's exclusion of LGBTQ plus people, feminism, and faith and doubt. He has a new collection of these cartoons that has just been released called Flip It Like This. Well, I am, I will admit, a real fan of cartoons as an art form, and I have certain favorite cartoonists. So if you were to corner me at a party and say, Dalt, who do you really love in the cartoon world? I would say, well, Elsie Chrysler Seeger and the Thimble Theater that gave us Popeye, or George Harriman and Crazy Cat. But I'm also a fan of the 1980s cartoons like Funky Winkerbean and Kathy. So I love the really ornate, elaborate styles of Harriman and Seeger, and I love the much more simplistic styles of someone like Kathy Guswita. So I'm wondering, when you think about cartooning, did you have favorite cartoonists when you were growing up, or do you have favorite cartoonists now that you look to? I didn't look at the Saturday paper to see the cartoons unless yeah, once in a while I might. But The Far Side, for example, just funny, poignant. And, but the style of cartoon that I aspire to is anything The New Yorker puts out. I, I'm just a fan of The New Yorker style of cartoon. And in fact, I, I have a bunch of their collections in my own library and I'll go through there just for inspiration. What, and what I find inspiring about that is just the black and white, very minimalist style and few words. So that to me, that kind of smart genius cartooning is what really inspires me. But I'll tell you the, the cartoonist that inspired me to try cartooning and I really admired him. His name is, well, his brand name is Gaping Void. His name is Hugh McLeod. And his tagline was drawing cartoons on the back of business cards. And I remember, like, I just loved his little simple line drawings and funny, poignant cartoons. And it was actually, I was seeing his stuff he was posting every day. I thought, you know, maybe I could do that. And I really looked up to him and now we're friends. Like, so it's really cool that it should happen. And so that, that's the guy that actually, he didn't directly inspire me by saying you should do this. I was inspired by his work to try it. So, yeah. Well, what strikes me about that description is doing a cartoon on the back of a business card. There's a very limited amount of real estate that you get in order to tell your story. And I'm struck also by you saying, you know, trying to use a minimal amount of lines and a minimal amount of words. So I wonder, do you find those kinds of limitations inspiring and freeing, or do you find them constraining? No, I find them freeing in the sense that it's like Twitter. Twitter started out with, what was it, 140 characters, I think? I believe that's right, yes. And I really, I owe Twitter a lot because I learned how to write a really good, succinct sentence or two on Twitter. Like it, you had to get rid of all the fluff and come up with a good meaty tweet. And now it's, they've doubled it to 280. 
But still, the challenge is to say everything you got to say in one tweet. You can do threads, but I, and so it's the same with cartooning. I feel that this, these limitations of few words, none is best and just a pen line with no color or shading or anything. If you can, can, if you can do that, I feel I've really succeeded. Like I've had people say, oh, I'd love to see your cartoons in color. And I have done some color. Like, for example, my LGBTQ cartoons, often there's rainbow sheep. And of course, you need color for those. But I find that they are, they just seem gaudy to me and just overdone. And it, for me, it takes away from the very laser point direction of the cartoon and what I'm trying to say. So and that's why I'm very inspired by the limitations. They, the, it, and it's the same with, it's the same with good writing, for example, a good book on philosophy or a good book on quantum physics or a really good novel that is just so well written. You're reading it because of the story or because of what they're saying, but you're also getting so much out of just how well written it is. And so th- that kind of constraint I think is that kind of a challenge helps me make better art. And my paintings too, my watercolors, they're very minimalist. Sometimes I challenge myself to do a whole painting of one color, very limited palette, and, and to see if I can convey what I'm trying to convey just with one color. And I love that kind of challenge. I'm struck as you're saying that the desire even to limit yourself in terms of just staying with black and white as opposed to occasionally having a judicious use of color palettes. So you mentioned, for example, the rainbow sheep to contrast with the black and white sheep and to talk about LGBTQ plus communities. I'm, I'm, as you were saying that, a memory came to mind. There's a Gary Larson collection, a far side gallery collection, and on the front cover, there's a penguin in a sea of penguins and the penguin is standing up and shouting, I've got to be free. I've got to be me. And in the original cartoon, it was one black and white penguin standing up in a sea of black and white penguins. But then on the cover, they decided to add some color to it. And so they made that one penguin in the center standing up a little rosy and a little yellow. And so the penguin really does stand out. It totally changed the meaning of the cartoon. And so I want to ask you about meaning. How do you think about the conveyance of meaning? And do people ever misread your cartoons? And how do you feel when that happens? Yeah, no, I, my cartoons are misread and sometimes because I don't do a good job of communicating. And there have been times when I have posted a cartoon and somebody will say, that might be a little bit anti-Semitic, for example. Actually, the cartoon that you referred to earlier, maybe it was before the show when we were chatting, of when Jesus says the difference between you and me is you read the scriptures to try to figure out what love means. And I use love to interpret the scriptures. We're talking about hermeneutics, right? So my original, and a lot of people love that cartoon. Jesus is talking to a bunch of modern day believers holding their Bible and everything. The original cartoon of that is Jesus saying the very same thing, but he's saying it to, it looks like a bunch of rabbis, like the older men with long robes and hats and long beards. And somebody's pointed out that might be interpreted as, I know you didn't mean it this way, but it could be interpreted as anti-Semitic that Jesus is saying, you Jews interpret the scriptures to figure out how to love what Christians use love to figure out what the scriptures mean. Whoa. When I heard that, I immediately took it down because I know that's exactly how it could have been interpreted. It's not what I meant. And so I redrew it with Baptist, because that's what I wanted to convey was the love hermeneutic rather than a legalistic hermeneutic. Let me take a moment and reintroduce you. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're delighted today to be speaking with David Hayward, who's the artist behind At Naked Pastor and NakedPastor.com. He draws and writes these cartoons that reach wide audiences with fanciful and hard-hitting ideas about spiritual abuse, the church's exclusion of LGBTQ plus people, feminism, and faith and doubt. And they have a new collection of these cartoons that has just been released called Flip It Like This. So 
I want to stay with this for a moment because you talked about pulling down a cartoon and changing one of the sort of features of the cartoon from a group of what would look like old world rabbis to a group of what would look like Southern Baptists. So I want to ask you about drafting, about how your process goes through. You've mentioned sometimes you'll do sketches on your iPad. Do you find that it occasionally or maybe often takes you one, two, a dozen attempts to get it to the simplicity that you want it to be? Or do you find that the simplicity and that the message comes usually very easy for you? Well, it's become easier. And so it's kind of like a muscle memory. You learn the skill of eliminating the unnecessary. So there, I try not to include anything in the cartoon that isn't absolutely necessary to convey what I'm, what I'm trying to say. So there, like that cartoon, for example, it went through two iterations. There's been other cartoons that have gone through a few iterations. One of my most popular cartoons, Eraser, that one shows a bunch of people drawing lines on the ground with huge thought pencils. And Jesus is there with his pencil upside down, rubbing up the lines. And I had Jesus saying something in the original cartoon. I think he was saying something like, I thought I already took care of them. <laughs> and which is okay. But I realized he doesn't even need to say that to convey what I'm trying to say. So I just erased that <laughs> from eraser. And I think the car cartoon is more powerful now. And so there's other cartoons that I've done the same thing with where I, it's gone through a few iterations to make it simpler and more direct and maybe punch a little harder. Yeah. So I, I want to now ask about a story that comes to us in the Gospels. So it's oftentimes referred to as the woman caught in adultery, and it's that where everyone is wanting to stone her to death. And Jesus famously says, whoever's without sin cast the first stone. But as I was reading through your book, Flip It Like This, I was reminded that when Jesus first arrives on the scene, he squats down and he starts to draw in the dirt. And he literally draws attention away from the woman who all eyes are on, and he's doing something a little odd. Why is this man now squatting down and drawing in the dirt? He's drawing attention away from the vulnerable to himself, almost being a shield for her. I, I, and I want to say that to you and ask you, do you ever feel like these cartoons, because you write a lot about vulnerability, you write a lot about the unwanted in your cartoons, do you ever feel like you are using power, privilege, your own self in a way to try and draw attention away from, the, from these vulnerable communities and from the violence directed at these vulnerable communities, almost like a lightning rod to draw it to you in your cartoons. When I say these words to you, does that sit right with you? Or would you say, no, Dalt, I'm doing something very different here with my cartoons? Yeah, so I'm really, my primary concern, I think the core of what I'm really passionate about is freedom, my own personal freedom your personal freedom, the personal freedom of others, and basically their, our personal freedom to be authentically who we are. So that, that would include me, that would include a person of color, that would include a woman, that would include a gay person, trans person, whatever, that they have the right to be who they are, to be themselves. And, I, and so I am constantly encouraging that freedom and applauding it celebrating it, trying to tease it out of people. And on the other hand, I'm going after ideas and institutions that are trying to limit that freedom. And so that's my double-edged sword. On the one hand, I'm encouraging the marginalized. And on the other hand, I'm trying to challenge those who are marginalizing people. So that's my kind of two-edged sword. And so whether, I don't really feel like I'm trying to distract people. Uh, I do know that my cartoons can have this effect on people because they've told me this, where it'll pop their eyes open. Sorry if that's a bad sound on your radio show, but it'll just pop their eyes open to a new way of seeing things, a new reality, a new paradigm. And so that kind of lightning rod where it's in an indirect, surprising way will change somebody's mind. And, and so that for me is what it's all about. Well, this is something that you actually talk about in your introduction to the book, Flip It Like This. You say a cartoon can slip behind a filter or a defense, sometimes 
in a way that maybe a sermon cannot. And I was very intrigued by that distinction between the ability to ignore a sermon, and maybe I just am wired differently and I tend to be very drawn to the sermonic style, but I want to hear more about how a person can sit through a 10-minute homily or a 15- or a 20-minute Presbyterian or Lutheran sermon, and they cannot get the message, but a cartoon can zap them with the message. Talk to me about that dynamic. Well, it's because during a, like a lesson, your propositional truth or whatever, you're engaging your intellect. And the problem with our minds, as we know, is that it cannot think outside of itself. It has, but it's a problem so that whatever you're taking in is going to come through a filter that's already established. And what doesn't agree with your mind's architecture it's going to be reject, rejected and whatever your brain already believes it's going to be received so it's very tricky to preach and it's very tricky to listen to preaching like often we're we're preaching to the converted and the converted are listening to the same stuff and nothing happens i think that's why the gospel writers made it quite clear that Jesus' teaching style was very unique. Storytelling, parables, action, we'll flip it like this with the tables and so on. So it's anything that will sort of shock the mind into, like, into a frustration or into a stop or into breaking out or some other way of seeing things. I think art, music, a poem, parable, or an action, the, these have ways of conveying truth that often propositional teaching can't accomplish. Well, based on what you just said, I think I know what your answer is going to be to this question, but let me ask it anyway. Do you think of your cartoons, David Hayward, as a kind of evangelism? Are you spreading some kind of good news here through this art form? Well, I hope it's good news. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who don't like my work, so I'm often being labeled all wolf in sheep's clothing or a false prophet or stupid or whatever, all kinds of things. But I, I, I can only tell you what I hear back from people, and that is that, that for me is a good sign. I might feel like I'm doing a good thing, but if I don't hear from anybody, I don't really know. But I am hearing back from people who feel validated and affirmed and encouraged and even loved. People have said they suddenly felt free, finally, and not condemned or judged. And then other people have said, you know, I used to hate your guts. And I just want you to know that I'm, I see what you're saying now and I absolutely appreciate you or whatever. And, and then there's others who feel I'm too critical and too unhappy. <laughs> or too judgmental and I need to back off a little bit. So there's all kinds of responses, but I think people make the mistake who don't really understand what I'm doing, that they assume I hate the church and hate religion and hate the faith when it's not true. I really do care about community and doing it in a healthy manner and believing things that are beneficial and helpful and true and so that's why I just keep doing what I do. I, I keep hearing back from people that it's working. So let's take a quick break. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with David Hayward. He's a cartoonist who draws and writes as at Naked Pastor, and his work can be found at nakedpastor.com. His work reaches wide audiences with fanciful and hard-hitting cartoons about spiritual abuse, the church's exclusion of LGBTQ plus people, feminism, and faith and doubt. Many of these cartoons have now been collected into a new volume called Flip It Like This. We'll continue to talk about this book in just a moment. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're enjoying these conversations, please go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. There you'll find close to 10 years of these sorts of conversations and interviews, all available for free for your listening pleasure. 
We're delighted today to welcome David Hayward, who draws and writes as at Naked Pastor and publishes cartoons at NakedPastor.com. His work reaches wide audiences with fanciful and hard-hitting cartoons about spiritual abuse, the church's exclusion of LGBTQ plus people, feminism, and faith and doubt. Many of his cartoons have now been collected into a recent volume called Flip It Like This. Well, as I read through your cartoons, there are certain things that come up again and again. There are certain types of characterizations. So, for example, you have an anthropomorphic church, and I'm thinking in particular of a cartoon where Jesus and the church are in bed together, and eventually the church gets bigger and bigger and kind of takes up more and more of the bed until eventually Jesus is pushed out of the bed. Earlier in the conversation, we talked about the various sheep, the black sheep, the white sheep, and the rainbow-colored sheep. And we've also talked about various characterizations of religious figures, be they Baptist ministers or old-world rabbis. And I want to ask you now about the fine line between characterization and caricature and how to draw attention in a fun way without necessarily making fun in the wrong way. And I wonder how you think about those kind of balances and how you straddle that line. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. That cartoon, uh, that one is an unusual one for me because it's in four frames and it shows Jesus in the church in bed and eventually the church just keeps up taking more and more room and more and more of the blankets until Jesus ends up on the floor. I have another cartoon similar to that where Jesus and the church are in a car and the church is driving and Jesus says, remember when you used to let me drive? And I think that's a really good cartoon. And it's funny. I think it's cute. It's funny. The church looks at Jesus side-eyed. And I think it's in a communicate in a disarming way that sometimes the church loses its way and which should be the way of Christ, in my humble opinion. And it, every, everything's cute, and it's funny, and tongue-in-cheek. And so that's the kind of thing that I try to communicate. Now, there's others where the church is excluding rainbow sheep, or there's one cartoon where there's a bunch of men standing around a woman inside a church, and they're saying, what are we supposed to do with it? And the cartoons like that, that poke fun at sexism or misogyny or the marginalization of women or LGBTQ. And so it's, it's not I'm trying to condemn the church, but I'm challenged the church to reconsider and changes, changes policies, really, on, on some of these issues. Well, and one thing that rings through for me in looking at your work and also in talking to you is that you have a clarity about what the gospel is for you. You've said earlier in the conversation that you have an interest in freedom and authenticity. And so certainly that's an aspect of what we might call the gospel being for you. And you have a desire for inclusion rather than exclusion and a willingness to move away from doctrine and rules towards real human contact and real human relationship. All of that rings through in your work. I wonder if you would feel comfortable where did your understanding of the gospel come from? What was formative for you? Who was formative for you in your thinking and in your courage to, to proclaim this kind of loving message? That's a biggie, because I've been in the church my whole life. I was baptized as a baby in the Anglican church, which that's Canadian, but it'd be Episcopal to Americans. And then we went to all different kinds of churches. I ended up getting real, really born again in a Baptist church. And we switched to Pentecostal. I went to a Pentecostal Bible college. I went to an evangelical seminary. I, my theology was starting to change. I switched to Presbyterian church. I went and got a, I had got my master's in New Testament studies under Gordon Fee at Gordon Conwell. And then from there, I went to McGill and got my diploma of ministry, and I got my clinical pastoral education, all this stuff. And then I ended up getting ordained in the Presbyterian Church. But along the way, I'd had different spiritual traumatic events happen where I would go on a sort of a spiritual journey and got introduced to spiritual direction, Henry Nowen, Thomas Merton. From there, I got introduced to Zen Buddhism and other like Islam, mystical wing of Islam and philosophy, and then quantum physics with David Bohm and Krishnamurti and Carlo Rovelli and like all these people, all these ideas, all these things was just got stirred into me just believing that there's one reality that we all share 
but we all have our own language and worldview through which we apprehend it and articulate it. And so for me, that's just something I know to be true. And it comes through in my work where even though we might be on opposite ends of the spectrum on a certain belief, I still believe we're one at a deep and fundamental level. And it takes community and communication to figure this out. And so, so for me, I think a real value that I uphold is that I think if any community wrestles with this tension, that it is on its way to being a healthy functioning community. And that is, how can I be free without violating your freedom? And how can you be free without violating my freedom? And so that, that doesn't, rules don't help in that case. What this requires is a daily renegotiation of how we live together in a loving way. And so that for me is how I try to communicate in my cartoons as well. Not that I'm right and you're wrong and I need to convince you of whatever, but that, hey, we're all in this together. We're one, united at a deep and fundamental level, the reconciliation of all things. Through him, we live and move and have our being, et cetera, et cetera. And how can we figure out how to live together? So that, that to me is, uh, I hope, comes through my work. Well, thank you, first of all, for that comprehensive answer. And I was fascinated in the many different influences that you named. I was fascinated to hear the name of Jeddu Krishnamurti. And I'm interested because one of the things that Krishnamurti talks about a lot is freedom versus fear and the way in which we can move away from fear into, as you said, the kind of freedom that can actualize itself without robbing others of their own freedom. And I'm wondering, since you've talked about how you've been moving in these circles all through your life, did you ever have a chance to actually see Krishnamurti speak, or have you encountered his books, or how did you come to these non-Christian ideas? How did they reach your orbit as well? Yeah, so like right off the bat, though, see, when I started reading Krishnamurti, you're pronouncing it different than I do, but Jiddu Krishnamurti, I don't think his ideas are non-Christian. I think they are true, and what it was true, no matter where you find it, no matter what tradition or religion or philosophy it comes from, if it's true. And so when I, I think I was reading, I was going through a real hungry spiritual phase, trying to figure things out, and so I was just thumbing through, I think it was Mercier Iliade Dictionary or Encyclopedia of Spirituality or something, just a monstrous collection. And I accidentally came across Krishnamurti and I thought, this is blowing my mind right now. And then not too long after that, I was in a used bookstore and I came across this tiny little book, paperback, called The Urgency of Change. And I took that home and I devoured that book and it blew my mind. It blew my mind in a terrifying kind of way <laughs> where I just felt the rug had been pulled out from underneath the feet of my brain. And it was a real moment of terror. And so where he was saying the first job of our brains is to protect the organism. So where we are thinking or whatever, its primary motivation is protection like the, the, uh, security and, and closing us in and it, it was a fear response basically and that, that just terrified me that thought really terrified me and that sort of propelled me on another leg of my journey too so where i still to this day i've never seen him speak live but i've seen videos amazing all the footage they have of him but i've seen videos i've read a bunch of his books which are basically a lot of most of them are transcripts of his talks and read a couple biographies and things like that. And he just reading David Bohm, the quantum physicist, or the, the scientist, Carlo Rovelli, Seven Brief Lessons in Physics. When I'm reading them, even though they might claim to be an atheist or whatever, I feel they're feeding into the truth. And it just feels right. It feels affirming and it feels true. And I just value the same with Slavoj Zizek, as, as crazy as he is, as a philosopher, he's hilarious to watch. He's so entertaining to watch and to listen to. He's very difficult to read, but I just feel he's tapping into truth. And when you rise above the particularities of our doctrine and you start listening to the mystics or the philosophers or the, the scientists or, or like Meister Eckhart, 
and Carlo Rovelli and Krishnamurti and Thomas Merton and David Bow, all, all these people, they start sounding like they're talking the same language. And so that for me is a real clue that something really important is going on there. I love that answer. And it, it draws me to think about because you have chosen to make your cartoons available on multiple social media platforms, they are being spread by the wind and you can't always anticipate where they're going to land and who they're going to land in front of. And so I'm curious if you have ever heard from people who do not identify as Christians, who have read your cartoons, seen your cartoons, and have been moved in some way towards this greater truth that you're gesturing towards in that answer. Yeah. Yeah, I do hear from people. I get some funny comments. My cartoons do get spread around. And so, for example, there's one where there's a guy standing inside of a cage that he's putting together and people are coming up and handing him bars to put on his cage. And he says, the bars in my cage were the expectations of others that I built around myself. And that cartoon gets shared everywhere in the business world and in the philosophy, psychology world or whatever. And I just hear from people that say they really appreciate open their eyes to a reality that was going on in their life that they weren't aware of. I also hear from, once in a while, I hear from an atheist who says, you know, I don't believe in any of this stuff, but I like your Jesus. <laughs> so I heard something like that. It just strikes me as funny. And uh, so it's, and then there's, there are others who, for example, allies, advocates, friends of LGBTQIA folk and women and BIPOC and others, refugees, et cetera, who just really appreciate, you know, anything that can be contributed to a more just world. And that's why I keep doing, trying to do my part to make the world a better place for everybody. You mentioned just a moment ago that people will tell you, even if they're not part of Jesus communities, that they really like your Jesus. But you've also expressed in the introduction to your book, Flip It Like This, this collection of your cartoons, that you have revisited and revisited how to be drawing this Jesus or how to draw the image of God, because there are the old traditional ways that the Western church sort of understands Jesus and God to be portrayed, and you're both playing into those sometimes and also choosing to challenge those sometimes. So I want to ask you about how the visualization of Jesus is an ongoing conversation for you. Yeah. So there, there are times when I'm just drawing a, a plain pen drawing. And so of course it's black and white and there's no gray scale. And so all the characters are the color of the paper, <laughs> but there's been times when I will convey Jesus and brown skin. So like, for example, one of my cartoons, I show Jesus standing in an art gallery and he's looking at the California surfer Jesus painting of him, blonde hair, blue eyes, pale skin. And he's standing there, brown skin, with his hands on his chin, examining this painting, just to convey the, the difference between what Jesus probably looked like as opposed to the Western version. And so, but there are times, like I've drawn cartoons of God as well, where God's a woman or... God is colored or, and then I have pictures, I've drawn the Holy Spirit who looks like a ghost. A lot of people think that the Holy Spirit, my Holy Spirit is very cute, but I run into a problem sometimes. And that is I want to, I might show, draw a picture of God and somebody is at the door to come into heaven or at the judgment seat. And the person says, I'm not going in there with all those homosexuals. And God says, well, who said you were going in there? <laughs> and, I'll, and, and so that's funny in and of itself, but some people might say, why did you show God as a, an old white man and with a long beard and white and all that kind of thing? And it's, well, if I drew God as different than the traditional way of us thinking about God, that would totally throw off the cartoon. People would say, why is God young there? Or why has he got brown skin? Why, where's his beard? Like, what's going on in this cartoon? And so I have to sometimes follow the traditional rules of what God looks like and so on, just to convey the meaning of the cartoon. 
that's a long answer to a short question. Sorry about that. It's a good answer, though. And a- as we're coming to the end of our conversation, the last thing I want to ask you, both in in uh, as a person who enjoys your cartoons and in this conversation here, the one of the words that strikes me again and again is that you are coming from a place of settled joy. That's the feeling that I get, that you have an assurance, you have an actualization about who you are and what you are about, what your calling is that rings out in your work and that 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 has been very much the feeling I've had in this conversation. I wonder if you feel comfortable speaking about this. What is the touchstone or the wellspring of that kind of joy? How did you come to to embody it if indeed that characterization even rings true to you? What is the source of your joy? Well, I appreciate that. I like that. I wrote that down because I like that very much subtle joy. That does describe how I usually feel on one level. I've been a real searcher for my whole life. And it got to the point when I I was in the ministry where I was really ready to throw in the towel because I couldn't reconcile all the parts. It was like I had a thousand piece puzzle and I just couldn't figure out what the picture was because I really did believe somehow I believe that all is love and we're all connected and united in the reconciliation of all things. Those kind of verses I took literal. And so I, and I couldn't figure out how to make it work or make it fit. And I was really honestly ready to throw in the towel and give up and just say, that's it. I'm done. And then in 2009, I had a profound, I don't know what to call it, like an epiphany moment where I just saw the oneness of all things, where we're deeply connected. There's one reality. We all have our different perspectives and different language and all that, but it's only our thoughts that seem to divide us. We are one. And, and it was just that immediately peace of mind came to me. It's never left. And it was just, I felt relaxed. The struggle was over theologically. Now, other areas of my life, like there's struggles. But theologically, the dust settled. Everything just was peace. And I, that's what I work out of. It's there. It, that, it started there. It hasn't left. And it's, it'll remain. And it was a wonderful moment that I'm very thankful for. But that's how I, exactly how I would describe it, a settled joy. And thanks for giving me the words. Well, David Hayward, I am such a fan of your work, and I have been following your work for a number of years. It has always been in my wheelhouse to want to talk to you. I'm so grateful that your new book, Flip It Like This, is out to give me an opportunity to have this conversation with you. Thank you for the years that you have spent bringing this art into the world and this message into the world, but thank you especially for taking time today to talk about it with me and my listeners. Thanks, David. I really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. We've been speaking today with David Hayward, who draws and writes as At Naked Pastor and at NakedPastor.com. His work reaches wide audiences with fanciful and hard-hitting cartoons about spiritual abuse, the church's exclusion of LGBTQ plus people, feminism, and faith and doubt. Today, we've been talking about a recent collection of his cartoons called Flip It Like This, which is out from Broadleaf Books. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park here on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC are responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Kijip. Our show is made possible in part by the generosity of supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.